Autism, where Affect is the number one tool we use in supporting child development through playful interactions. This week at Affect Autism, we welcome back Dr. Ira Glavinsky from the Glavinsky Center for Child Development in Bloomfield Hills, Michigan. Welcome back, Dr. Glavinsky. It's great to have you. Thank you, Thank you for having me. <laughs> You're welcome. Dr. Glavinsky is a psychologist who has a background in special education, and he's also a DIR expert. And we are going to talk to him today about something that was presented on his Facebook page, which is a new uh, child development video series that your center is producing. And it looks really interesting. It's very necessary. And do you want to tell us a bit about how it came to be that you decided you wanted to put out this video development series for parents and teachers? That's a great question. One of the reasons for it was the fact that um, we have a number of educators in our graduate program from all over the country and um, also international students. And, and one of the things that has come up over and over again is the fact that there are kids in the classroom, um, and we're talking about very young um, children, preschool age children, nursery school children, kindergarten children, who are really not ready uh, for group participation because what they've done, what they haven't done, is they really haven't mastered the foundation skills of regulation in individual, you know, parent-child environments. And they're coming into school um, settings, the expectation is that they will be able to function in a group setting, and they don't have the skills to do it. And what teachers are, are telling us is that in their training programs, they're really not getting the tools to be able to work with these kids. So they have lots of coursework, but when they are confronted with dealing with a classroom situation, they quickly get overwhelmed. Uh, I was at a conference in Amsterdam I think it was two years ago, and I was really surprised to hear that in Europe they're experiencing very similar kinds of things. The teachers and school psychologists who happened to be at that meeting were saying, how do we deal with this dysregulated kids? What do we do with them? Uh, and so what we decided to do at the center was to really concentrate on developing a program that would hit the, the critical areas that are necessary to provide the foundation for, um, for regulation. Yeah, that's, it just really does echo a lot of things that we've covered on the blog. You and I in previous podcasts talk about this developmental approach where we want to focus less on behavior more on these early social, developmental, emotional capacities 
that uh, DIR floor time talks about, the DIR model focusing on those early, uh, specifically the first six functional emotional developmental capacities where the first one is regulation, being able to be regulated. And I did a podcast with Dr. Tippy a few years ago about foundation academics, which discussed the same thing, how um, if, if we don't have those skills, the self-regulation, the ability to engage with people, interact with them, um, have the back and forth, being able to social problem, socially problem solve with others, have symbolic thinking and logical thinking, then getting into a group setting is going to be really challenging for kids. And yet parents are really trying to push the academics. And you and I covered that at length in our, in our uh, previous podcast. And then even a few weeks ago, I guess, it, oh my, it's been a few months already, my podcast with Dr. Stuart Shanker, who talked about the same thing, seeing such a rise in behavioral challenges in schools because so many children have emotional dysregulation and it stems from all of the stress. So I think it's uh, such a great, great time to put out this video series. Um, and um, I don't know if you wanted to jump right into it, but um, do you want to go in? Do you want to say anything else before we jump into some of the aspects of the video series? Yeah, one of the things that I think is really important is that, for example, in DIR, we talk about the six core uh, functional, emotional, developmental levels. But one of the things that I think about is you can take any one of those levels and you can call it an umbrella term. And what I mean by that is if you take the first stage, for example, um, regulation, attention, and calming, what are the component parts of regulation, attention, and calming? You take engagement, but what are the things that go into engagement? What's the process that a parent or a teacher has to um, go through to come to engagement? And a while back, I, I read the, some of the work by Myron Hoffer, um, who is a researcher, I think he's still at Columbia University in New York, or was at Columbia University, and, and Dr. Hoffer had studied attachment. And what he found is that really attachment is an umbrella term. And there are hidden regulators that go into form attachment. And what you can do is you can take each of these component parts and you can look at them um, individually. And then when you put them together, we come up with attachment. So one of the things that I had thought about uh, and it was related to working with mothers and very young children. These were preschoolers um, between the ages of three and five. And, and it hit me that there are things that go on between an ordinary good enough mother 
and a baby that when you think about individual differences, these same tools that ordinary, good enough mothers use with babies may still be necessary with older children. So that we have enormous variations, um, individual differences in children. And it just hit me that there are some children who need these processes for longer periods of time. So what I began to do is I began to look at what these component parts were and I identified them along with parents in the office. And when we identified one of these component parts, I call them balloons because babies and toddlers love balloons. So when we identified one of these balloons, what I did was I worked with a parent psychoeducationally so that the parent understood the concept on a visceral level. It wasn't cerebral, it wasn't cognitive. It was, I have a feeling for this concept. And then I had the mother and the child come into the office and the mother would work with the child on this component part. And what I began to see is that when we worked on these processes, we had some really good um, kinds of outcomes. I remember a five-year-old boy who um, had a severe um, attention problem. And in his relationship with his mother, the attentional back and forth just wasn't there. And so we began to work on attention. And one morning he came into the office and he went over to the toy bins and he was talking to his mother about some toys in the toy bins. And she was not really focused on him. And this little five-year-old boy looked up at his mother and he said, Mom! When we're talking to each other, you're supposed to pay attention to me. And it was like what the child experienced was the visceral sense of this is what attention feels like. So what I've begun to do in, in the office is to look at these different um, processes that, that you and I will talk about. And I see them as really core components of a parent-infant, parent-toddler relationship. And I see them as being extraordinarily important to focus on in interactions and particularly with dysregulated kids. Dysregulated kids need adults who will move in with them when they are dysregulated rather than deal with it behaviorally and support the child and scaffold the child and work on developing a relationship 
with the child. And I think that that's a critical piece that's been missing. Yeah, and, and certainly with some of our autistic children who don't have that back and forth emotional signaling and ability to communicate back and forth, they might be feeling that. Like, hey, how come you're not paying attention to me, mom? But they're not able to vocalize it. So the parent isn't getting that feedback and that's just making it more of a snowball. I think that's exactly right. I think that's exactly right. R related to that, Daria, is the fact that, you know, I, as we moved from Canner's um, idea of early infantile autism into the area of autistic spectrum, or it was, I think it was called autistic spectrum disorders, possibly, um, to autism spectrum. We have a wide range of kids who are presenting behaviors that we put into this, this category. And many of them, um, you know, and, and, and I think we see it with, with the DIR approach. Um, many of these children can make, you know, significant, strong, powerful gains um, in treatment um, when we focus on these issues or these processes and when parents are aware that this is something that I need to work on with my child um, because it will make a difference. And, and so I, I think particularly with the population that you're talking about, this can absolutely be critical. So uh, I'll just quickly describe that there are six categories, but within that first category is called early childhood development. You have one, two, three, four, five, six, seven subcategories. And these are all so important, and we talk about them in, in the DIR model and floor time. When I think about it in terms of an order, I, I would begin to think about attention first. Attention okay. is absolutely critical to move into all of these other areas. So I, I see attention um, and orienting you know, towards each other. Um, as as being the critical first component part. Okay, so um, I will let you tell us which, if there's an order for the other ones, um, where are we going to go through, but there's, there's attention, attunement, contingency, marking, sinking, attachment, and co-regulation. Okay. And I, I should add that, the, that there are probably more that people who are doing the work on very early child development are going to say, oh, he missed this one and he missed that one. Um, so what I don't mean to do is to make these um, all inclusive. There are probably more. But I, I think I, as I think about relationships between um, parents and children, I, I think of these as being very critical. Okay. 
so so we talked a little bit about attention do you want to delve into that further or does that sort of lead into attunement would you say absolutely so that if you develop the capacity for attention and again it's feeling the attention on the visceral rather than just the cognitive level your body feels we're really attending to each other what you can begin to do is you can begin to get a feeling for what your partner is feeling and and i i see that as attunement being able to develop the capacity to recognize a feeling in, in another person and to be able to get a sense of what it feels like to be in that person's shoes. Once you get the feeling of, gee, this, this is what my partner in this interaction may be feeling, then what you can do is you can develop a rhythm, you can develop a tempo. That's what he's referring to there is the syncing, that rhythm and tempo and pace of interaction, which yeah, is so, where the, so we covered attention, attunement, and this is now syncing that you're referring to. Yeah, it's synchrony okay. um, or, or syncing. Um, but it's an S-Y-C-H, not an S-I-N-K. Yes. <laughs> um, the idea that we are moving and flowing together at the same pace. Um, how I think about it is um, something like a table tennis game where I serve the ball and I serve it at a um, particular speed, and then the ball is in the other person's lap, and what that person, or, or on the other person's side of the table, and that person can hit the ball back faster than I served it, slower than I served it, and what we have to decide to do is we're going to get into that back and forth at a pace that's comfortable for both of us. What we're not doing is competing with each other, we're collaborating with each other. And in order to collaborate, you have to flow together. And I, I see that as being essential in relationships. And when people are not in sync together, they feel it. You can feel being pushed or pulled off balance by the next person's pace and tempo. And that's not being in sync. So um, again, I think that that variable, thinking about I want to flow with you so that we feel comfortable with each other is important. And then what we do is we move to what we would call contingency. And what contingency means is that when I say something or when I do something, your response is connected to what I 
did or said. So if I say to you, Daria, good morning, you might say to me, Ira, good morning. That's contingent. Um, I might say, Daria, good morning. And you might say, don't say that to me. <laughs> that's anti-contingent. That's, um, that, that's really the, the opposite of what you would expect in a, in a good enough you know, relationship. Or if I say good morning to you and you say, oh, look out the window. Um, there are birds that are flying, you know, around that tree. That's non-contingent. So what we want in a relationship is we want to look at how the two of us are relating in terms of that back and forth. What you find in, in very, very early infancy is that that time frame between the mother and the child, the back and forth is very, very close together. So that when baby does something, mother does something. When mother does something, baby does something very quickly. But as babies get older and as they move into toddlerhood, what we begin to see is that time frame between back and forth isn't exactly the same anymore. There's a difference in, in the back and forth. And one of the things that that enables all of us to do is to develop a sense of our differentiation from the other. So, oh, I know that I'm doing this. You're not doing this. I'm doing this. This is my behavior. And that's your behavior. And now I know the difference between me and you. So the idea of differentiation and the idea of beginning to form my identity versus your identity comes from the contingency not being exact, but being close together. So we move into contingency and then there are certain experiences that we want to remember. We want to highlight them put them in italics and put them into bold print. And that's what I mean by marking. So I want to remember this experience and I want you to remember this experience as being very important. And so baby does something or older child does something and I might say, wow, that's great. That's marking the behavior. And the signal that comes across to the receiver is, wow, that, that's an important thing that just happened between us. And I want to store that back, you know, in, in, my, um, in my memory system. Um, so those kinds of um, behaviors or those kinds of processes really form the component parts of the development of a healthy relationship. And what I see is I, I see children who are showing emotion dysregulation as really needing more of that kind of input um, for a longer period of time than kids who are developing the capacity to relate, um, to regulate 
to control themselves at an earlier point in time. I, I see those pieces as being missing. And then, and then the last one, the co-regulation is really in an interaction that we're having right now, even though it's online, I'm regulating me, but I'm also regulating you. I'm regulating how you're going to respond back to me. And on the receiving end, you're regulating you, but how you respond to me is regulating me. So I, I would add that co-regulation process. We regulate each other in interactions. And, and in a sense, what we do is it's no longer you and me, it's we. We're doing this together. And I want that to come across with a child, that we're in this together when we're working with each other. Right, and um, a few things come up when I hear you discuss all of these processes, especially starting with the attention that you um, highlighted, is that it, we're so distracted these days as parents um, with so many things going on and so little time at home with our children. Mm -hmm. And then when we are at home, we're looking at our cell phones all the time. <laughs> so how can a child feel like they're having your full attention and that we are attuned with them? And, um, you know, unless we're, we're saying these sort of things, like I assume that you're going to say that um, marking, if, if I'm looking at myself, oh, that's nice, honey. Oh, oh, that's great, sweetie. Yeah, yeah. That's not really marking because the child isn't getting our attention as well. And, and you made the point um, when you're talking about attention, but you also said this in your video on Facebook about attunement, is that it is not a cognitive thing. It is, it is this visceral feeling like this person really emotionally gets me. Exactly. And, and Maude LaRue talked about this with me in our podcast. We did a, a few a couple months ago, a few weeks ago, on theory of mind, mm -hmm. where you really get what the other person is experiencing. Yeah, yeah. And, and again, it isn't on a cognitive level. It's if, if all of us were hooked up to, um, you know, some sort of physiological apparatus, you know, what we would see is that in our back and forth relationship, there are all sorts of things that are firing inside of each of us. Um, some of us, you know, I, I think are lucky enough to be able to feel those things. We call that interoception. So um, interoception um, there is a, a woman who has really focused on this um, area, calls interoception um, the eighth sense. So we have the five senses that we know. Um, we have proprioception and vestibular functioning added up to seven. And now um, we have this term that her name is Kelly Mahler is working on the eighth sense of being able to feel what's going on inside us. Exactly. Yeah. Um, the one other thing that you had listed on your video that we didn't discuss yet too much is the attachment. You had that in there under early childhood development and 
I guess all of the things we discussed sort of um, come together to, to make that attachment piece where the child feels safe in a relationship with the parent. Yeah, and I, and I think, you know, what we can say is that com those components define secure attachment versus insecure, ambivalent, or insecure, avoidant, or insecure, dependent kinds of attachments or disorganized attachments. Absolutely. Yeah. The, the other thing that, that you're reminding me of, um, you reminded me of it when you were looking at <laughs> that electronic. Um, I, I just saw a new word for me. Um, I don't know if it's new for you, but the word is technoference. And oh, I've not heard that yet. Technoference. That's is, a good one. Yeah, is defined as um, really the interference that all of us get by focusing on our iPads, our cell phones, um, our computers. These, this is what gets in the way of the development of sort of healthy relationships. What we're, what we're doing, or one of the things that we're doing, um, technology has so many positives, but one of the things that we really may be um, short-circuiting ourselves on is being able to have a relationship with another person because we're not attending to them, we're not attuned to them, we're not in sync with them, you know. So technoference is a new work, a new word in my book. Well, now I learned something new today too, so that's great. <laughs> um, I, I just, I just want to stress the point that you're making these videos about this for parents and for teachers. Yes. We're not so much talking about our children's ability to be able to do these things because that's what we talk about when we talk about the developmental individual differences relationship-based model or DIR floor time. We are working on these with our child, but we can only work on them with our child to the extent that we can do it ourselves. And um, you brought up an important piece with me before we started the recording um, that uh, I'll, I'll tell you what Dr. Stuart Shanker said and then how it relates to what you said and you can uh, let me know your thoughts about it. But um, Dr. Shanker mentioned that they had a problem when they started this self-reg movement where they talk about children under stress and, and why it's not behavior and not to treat it behaviorally. He said, when you present all this material, it all makes sense cognitively, but the teachers were still saying, okay, will this, will this give me a room of quiet students? And he said they had to go back and really work on self-reg with the teachers themselves. So let's get you to figure out what are your stressors? What puts you in red brain where your frontal lobe goes offline and you're just reacting emotionally, etc. And you brought up the point of how important it is for parents and teachers to have this self-reflection piece, which is a big part of floor time. And I believe it's our ninth capacity that Greenspan identified in that um, in those levels of self-reflection where we can see that if we're reacting behaviorally and it's, it's hard not to. Um, I wrote a blog a couple weeks ago about how my little guy still likes to hit and kick dad at bedtime when he doesn't want to get his teeth brushed. And you know, if my husband's getting whacked in the face really hard, because our son's nine and a half now, it's really hard for him to go, 
okay, sweetie, blah, blah, blah. Like he's going to react and say, ow, like, don't do that. You know, he's going to have this anger response. And of course, my son is fueled, ooh, an emotional reaction because maybe the rest of the day I'm not getting so much attunement, attention or whatever because, um, you know, for whatever reasons, and all of a sudden I'm getting this great reaction. This is awesome. I'm going to kick him and hit him again. <laughs> so having that, you mentioned how important the self-reflection piece is. How do you, um, so that's why I wanted to point out that this video is not talking about uh, getting, our video series is not talking about getting our children to this point, but it's really targeting the parents and the teachers. I, I think that that's, that's exactly right. Um, and in, in the mental health field, there's a, a real strong movement at this point, um, particularly with um, people who are working with families with infants and doing home visiting. That, that, that's the special area. Um, there is a movement to have people endorsed in reflection, reflective practice, reflective supervision. Um, once you move out of the mental health field, though, um, reflection or reflective practice, reflective supervision, reflective thinking um, is much more scattered. And, and there are movements, I, I think, in the speech and language organization um, in the States, I, I, I think, in um, um, and hearing association, they're moving into doing more reflective work. Um, I think in the area of occupational therapy, we're seeing more reflective work. Um, and in the area of, of parenting, there are some people who are developing programs where what they're doing is they're teaching parents to what they call hold the baby in mind. And, and this relates to um, teaching caregivers how to be reflective. So a baby does something and the um, person working with the parent will say, um, gee, why do you think that Joey just did what he did? Um, and what it causes the parent to do is it causes the parent not to just focus on um, what I'm going to do to change the behavior, but, but what I'm going to try to do is I'm going to try to understand the behavior. Yeah, um, and that, that can be tricky for a lot of parents who... You know, I, I just want to get them to behave. I just want to get them to behave. And it's hard to make that shift to really say, why are they doing it? Well, it doesn't matter why. They can't be doing that. It's not, that's not right. <laughs> Especially, like, I'm thinking of this because um, at, at the time of this recording, we're about to take our first flight with our son. He's never been on an airplane before. And so we're, we're quite ambivalent about it. And the first thing I'm thinking is what's going to happen if he sets dad off on the plane and dad is in this, he has to be quiet. There's people around us. We want to get kicked off the plane. <laughs> and 
is focused on that instead of attuning, attending, and you know, our son is scared. It's maybe it's his first time. Maybe he's not going to be scared because he loves roller coasters. Mm -hmm. I kind of think we're going to be more scared than he is. But um, it, that it, the self reflecting part where you look at what's coming from the child is really hard to do when you're in red brain and triggered by your, by your son's behavioral uh, outbursts. Absolutely. And, and the other part of that, and this, this really gets back to some of Freiburg's work, um, the, the infant mental health movement, um, she used the term ghosts in the nursery. And, and what she meant by that was that how we respond to our children is not only going to be dependent upon what they do, but it's also going to be dependent on our own histories with similar experiences. So um, each of us, in all likelihood, is going to respond differently to our child's first plane excursion. And how we respond to that plane excursion it's going to have something to do with our memories, our experiences, our unconscious experiences when we went on our first excursions and how our parents related to us in that initial excursion. And we may not be aware of it at all, but our responses are not isolated, independent kinds of responses. They have something to do with where we came from. And uh, I, I think that that's part of that need to teach all of us about reflecting on an experience rather than reacting to an experience. Right. And, and we did um, discuss some of that, what you you didn't use the term in the past podcast, we did ghosts in the nursery, but we talked about how the experiences that you had growing up affect the current situation and, and how you don't just have three people in the room. I think you worded it as you have the previous parents and grandparents and grandparents. And, and so, yeah, it's easier said than done to reflect versus react. But um, if we can keep that intention in our head and, and work towards it, at least we're at a, at a starting point. That's a, that's a huge starting point. That's, that's big and, stuff. And then, um, so those are, of your video series that you described, the early childhood development section, you had um, five other sections, biology and physiology, temperament, emotional regulation, language and imagination. Did you want to touch on some of those as well? Yeah, again, these are all processes that really need to be looked at, you know, in, in our interactions. The, for, and I'll just give one example um, because of time. Um, all of us come into the world with our own biological, physiological baggage. And um, when we come into the world, we meet, you know, immediately um, these big people 
who who have their own biological physiological packages and and so what we have to look at is what what we call the goodness of fit does my biological physiological package um fit with your biological physiological package they don't have to be exactly the same so we have um these characteristics like what's our first response to a new situation there are some of us who approach there are some of us who withdraw when we are in the situation how long does it take for us to adapt adaptability is another temperamental characteristic we each come into the situation with different activity levels and different intensity levels um, we have biological rhythms and we have moods so all of these are, are temperamental factors you may have a high activity level and i may have a low activity level and so that may might sound like a bad match but i may be a person who really appreciates someone with a high activity level so the fact that our activity levels aren't exactly the same doesn't mean that it's a bad match so we look at at the goodness of fit um, we we look at the physiology when a child is misbehaving for example um, we see what that child does we don't concentrate or focus on that child's heartbeat is a lot faster than typical gee that child's blood pressure is up um, gee you know that child is breathing shallow and very very fast those are physiological characteristics that have to be addressed initially before you can expect the child to regulate so um, those things are very important another thing that's very important is you know my language um, does the child understand my language um, does the child can the child keep up with this the pace of my language those things are important and and then uh, you know just as another example does a child have the capacity to pretend can the child use his or her imagination um, imagination is a wonderful way to learn about the world and navigate the world and and so it's something that we need to help i think parents teachers children to celebrate imaginative kind of play um because it's hooked up with moods it's hooked up um with feelings in the moment it's hooked up with boy do i want to be with you i want to have a good time with you and um the kinds of things that you're saying they're making me feel like i want to pretend with you i want to use my imagination so it gets into relationships so all of those things are things that we would like to be able to develop a training program um, we would like to see whether it makes a difference over a period of time in terms of parent child relationships teacher child relationships um, 
it may be something that is being done in some places, but I'm not sure. Um, one of the reasons why I wanted to do it was because, in, in like I said, in the graduate program, where we're getting people from all over the world, they're telling us, no, we don't get this in our training. And so it was something that I really wanted to bring to other people and to be able to do exactly what we're doing right now, develop a dialogue between us where we share our ideas and we learn from each other. So that, that's, that's the background. And when you say graduate program, are you talking about the fielding uh, graduate program of infant development that you're involved with? Exactly. So, so they want to feel that they have the appropriate training um, to carry out when they graduate. And yeah, and, and you know, it, it, you, you don't know, maybe. Um, it's really been surprising. Um, I go into classes. And um, what I am sure of is that every person in that class has had what I'm going to say over and over again. This is not new stuff. And every semester I hear the same thing. We have not learned about this. And, and this really enriches um, and builds our toolboxes. This, this is really important stuff. How come? we didn't get this before and I, I asked the same question so let me end off this podcast with a more uh, broader <laughs> philosophical question or challenge um this emotional regulation piece which is so important that uh we've been covering you know all of these factors that we've discussed today go into that ability for people have emotional regulation. Um, what is the direction that's going to get us there? Because we see that in politics, there's none of that left. We don't have <laughs> the attention, the attunement, any kind of um, civil conversations where people are listening to each other's point of view. And, you know, that's sort of been thrown out the window. We have now a lot of articles coming out of Silicon Valley saying we don't let our own kids use tech devices because screen time is throwing everything off and having behavior. Um, where is it going to come from that's going to make this the next big movement? Like we've, we've sort of had for the last decade or so, this or more, this movement towards play. Play is important for young children. Finally, you know, you're seeing governments research it, talk about it. You're seeing articles about play everywhere. What's going to be the thing that's going to make this the next big thing? Like the reason why we need emotional regulation in our children and how to get it. Focus on these things that you talked about. Attention, attunement, contingency, uh, think, synchronicity, all these things. That is an extraordinarily difficult question. What, what I believe is it's really going to come from these hopefully small groups, you know, where you touch one, two, three, four people, and those four people happen to go home and they just pass on, um, gee, we had this experience and boy, we felt really good about it. And those four people touch four other people. And I, I think part of 
this is, I guess, I guess philosophical. Part of the problem that lots of us have is we're trying to change the whole world in one big gulp. And I, I think you can touch and possibly change one person at a time, two people, three people, but I think you have to start small. I think people have to enjoy it um, and say this is relevant and then pass it on to the next person. I think it has to come in small doses rather than big doses. Yeah. Yeah, I know um, a colleague of ours with ICBL, Jackie Bartell, says one person at a time. <laughs> that's all we can do. Yeah, yeah I, I, I think that that's, that's so true. Um, you know, and, and in terms of my own feeling, when I, I'm working with, some, with one person or, or with a couple um, or a family, and I'm feeling and they're feeling that, that, that this is helpful, boy, that feels great. You know, the, the idea of um, sort of changing the whole world, um, that was an idea that I had decades ago. Um, but not now at all. I, I think, you know, seeing small groups um, change, seeing small groups showing more positive feelings, um, I think that's a great start. That, to me, that's very satisfying. Well, thank you, Dr. Glavinsky. It's been wonderful chatting with you again. And for our listeners, uh, the blog post of today's podcast will be at affectautism.com and I will put some links to Dr. Glavinsky's Facebook page for the Glavinsky Center where you can see some of his other videos discussing this. And what is the timeline on this child development video series? Um, we are taking it one step at a time. We, um, we just completed the video that you had seen and what we are going to do, hopefully within the next month, is begin to address those initial um, variables, the attunement, the attachment, the contingency. So I, I would think within the next month, um, we are going to have something that, that will come out. Yeah. Great. Well, we'll keep an eye on your Facebook page for that. And um, thanks again. And uh, hopefully we'll chat again in another few months. That'd be great, Daria. Thank you so much for having me. Until next time, here's to affecting autism through play.